Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I'm Sai, welcome to Ace Podcast Nation, and this is my story, and I'm delighted, delighted to welcome a Cardiff City legend, a Birmingham City legend, Mr. Dan Purst. How are you, my friend? Well, good, Sai. Good to be here, mate. Yeah, looking forward to it. Looking good. Oh, yeah, I'm really, really excited for it, and I've got to say, it's, uh, it's very nice to see you back in the uh, <laughs> in the Cardiff City badge of uh, old. It's not the same badge as old, I suppose, but it's, it's a badge, and it's Cardiff. That's it's good to be back. Obviously, you look at obviously where the clubs come over the last years since I left. You know, as you said, new different badge to where to when I was playing and different stadium to when I was playing. It's uh, it's coming a long way, but yeah, it's uh, it's good to be back and uh, delight to be back in the city. Yeah, of course you didn't. Um, you you left didn't you just before the new stadium sort of came into fruition and that. So uh, I'm assuming what I'm assuming you did you ever play there? I came back with Sheffield Wednesday, I think it was like the second last game of the season, mm. and uh, I think we got beat five, which were, wasn't the uh, wasn't the greatest comeback, but uh, the best thing about it was, was obviously after the game, just the reception that I got after from all the Cardiff fans, actually sort of went and did this half a lap of, uh, oh, half a lap of the, the new stadium, which after getting beat five nil weren't probably the best no. best decision in the world for myself, but it was uh, it was nice to get the, to get a bit of recognition from from what I've been on at the football club over the four years I was there and uh, yeah, nice to come back and obviously see the club go on and get promotion from that. Yeah, and I think the other thing is as well, like obviously your time at Ninian Park, your time 
under Dave Jones, that era is really what kick-started the sort of the current, not current, I know we're not doing very well as of today sort of thing, but over the last couple of years with the, you know, up to the Premier League, the top of the championship, winning the championship, that was kick-started by the era that you were there with Dave Jones. Yeah, I think when I came in, I, I, a lot of people thought it was sort of the end of an era, if you know what I mean, because mm. I think like Ernie had not long left, Cav, obviously Gabidon and Collins, the two, two obviously main centre-halves at the club, and, and they'd also obviously left and, and moved on and gone, gone on to bigger and better things, if you know what I mean, obviously yeah. play, playing at West Ham and, and, uh, and, and playing in the Premier League. And it was sort of, the club was in a sort of transitional sort of position, you know, you had uh, Salomon Man was still the chairman, yeah, Peter Ridsdale had just sort of come in as a consultant. Dave Jones, it was his um, it was his first full season at the club, and I remember just obviously making getting a phone call. I was at West Brom at the time. I remember getting a phone call from Dave Jones saying I wanted they wanted to sign me. Um, I had two years left on my contract at West Brom. I could have quite easily sat there and picked my money up, you know, playing in the Premier League. Um, but Dave Jones sold me a dream of obviously the new stadium and and where they, he wanted to take the football club, uh, and for some unbeknown reason to myself, I took a drop in wages, yeah. <laughs> left West Brom and, and, and came down to, to South Wales. And it, it, it was strange where you just, sometimes you just get a feeling for a place. I went and watched the, 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 them play against Accrington Stanley on their way to Scotland. I looked at the squad and thought, what am I doing? I can't be, I can't be signing here. The, the squad was bang average for yeah, the time, you know, for, for what it was. And... Um, I just trusted what Dave Jones, Sam and Man, and, and sort of the dream that they sold to me. And as much as anything, it was probably, I wouldn't say that the, the best four years of my me, me career, because obviously at Birmingham I had some, yeah. some really good times with promotion to the Premier League and Cup final and that sort of stuff. But as a whole, for four years living in Cardiff, I, I loved it. It was an amazing football club and an amazing place. And just just delighted from obviously playing here and just to be back at, back at the football club in a coaching capacity now it's, it's brilliant I'm going to ask you about um, Sam Amman in a bit and the first time I, so I'll ask you that now first time you met Sam Amman or the first time you spoke to him any uh, interesting stories around that because uh, everyone's got listen, a different story there's, there's some really good ones about him my, my first impressions of Sam like Dave Jones I'd met Dave um, at a hotel around Birmingham um, when he wanted to sign me at a sort of chat for an hour, two hours with him and, and done that. And that was the Thursday and then the Friday they were travelling up to Scotland and they playing at Quinton Stanley. So he went, the chairman wants to meet you. So I met him at the Holiday Inn at Stoke. And the first thing Dave Jones said to me was, don't look at his eyebrows. <laughs> so we do just don't look at his eyebrows. So for the whole of the time I was sitting there having a coffee with him, all I'm doing is staring <laughs> at his eyebrows, <laughs> these big wiry things on his head. Um, but he, as a character around the place, he, he, he was fantastic. Everybody talks about, obviously, the, the sheep balls and all that sort yeah. of stuff and uh, as, as pre-match meals and everything like that. But one of my underbites, so before every game, obviously being captain, you'd lead the club out. As a going captain, you're okay? Mm -hmm. I'm right, chairman, you're right. He used to have a £50 note in his hand. And obviously the opposition had come out and their, their mascot had come out. And he'd say to their mascot, it's £50. If when you come out, when they, your captain comes out, you kick him for me, right? And then sometimes you get the little kid like just that. It, it gives the, the captain of the opposition a kick. <laughs> the same man to give him his fifty quid and walk off. Like, just crackers. Some of the, like the stories of him, like, like in meetings and that, he'd, his phone would go off and he'd jam us a fine five hundred quid and he'd just put five hundred quid in the fine pot for the yeah. lads and 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 get away with it. He, he was a great character to have around the place and uh, yeah, he was a, he, he was a good bloke to meet.
Yeah, bananas. Like he, um, like he, obviously he used to do the walking around the pitch thing and stuff, didn't he? Yeah, and, yeah. Uh, and that stopped after the, that Leeds FA Cup game. But um, <laughs> what I like to do with these, mate, is we're kind of obviously we won't be able to go through every single part of your career and everything like that because you've had a long and storied one. But we kind of go back to the start and you tell us like a bit about the your upbringing, the early days. And then we'll kind of move along yeah. through the gears. And if you think of any stories, anything like that, which is uh, yeah. entertaining, try and get them in there. Yeah. And I'll ask you some questions along the way. But um, where did it? Where was the beginning? For, the uh, beginning from a football fan. I, I grew up in London, Bethnal Green, like East London. My me, me dad was a plumber by trade, and my mum stayed at home. Um, and but obviously playing wise, I, I was probably I played for a really good Sunday League side. I was up till I was about 14 years of age. I was a centre forward. I was quicker, stronger, bigger than everybody else, and just I used to score loads of goals. And I played up front with um, Jason Tyndall, who's yeah, yeah. obviously now he's assistant at Newcastle. So me and Jace up, were playing up top, and would easily sort of score 40, 50 goals a season between the two of us, all uh, as uh, as individuals. And then got to 14 years of age, and I'd sort of done the rounds. I've been to sort of uh, Tottenham, Arsenal, and like all the uh, sort of the big in, um, London clubs, and. Um, it's strange how things happen. I got offered an apprenticeship at all three. Millwall got offered an apprenticeship at, at Millwall, which is my boyhood club. But Leighton Orient said, look, we don't, at 16, don't want to offer you an apprenticeship. We want to um, we want to just give you a professional contract. So I went in there from 16 to my 17th birthday in the February. I went in. They were giving me sort of 150 quid a week, just expenses, expenses mm. as, a, as a thing. So I'd go in. I was training with the first team, playing in the reserves, playing for the youth team. Um, and on my 70th birthday, I just signed a professional contract. So I didn't have to do sort of an apprentice, didn't have to do boots or anything like that. Signed me professional contracts lucky at you. 17. So I was, yeah, pretty lucky. And then made me debut for the first team three days later. And yeah, the rest is history at Orient from there. Just went on, played for the next 18 months and uh, ended up nicking the move to Oxford. So. It's interesting to me that is because obviously you skipped the apprenticeship and you skipped the, the chores around the ground and stuff, which um, I do a podcast with Andy Campbell as well. Um, yep. Obviously, ex Cardiff striker, as well as Kev, and um, one of the things which quite often comes up is like young footballers today and stuff like that. Obviously, now today you're working with the under 23s yep. as a manager. Um, one of my bugbears and one of theirs, they say, it's like the, the the chores and the boot cleaning and the things like that has gone out of the like out of the game really. Mm -hmm. And like Andy will say, like that's some of his best memories of football is doing those chores. And tidying up the ground, like the fun that he used to have with his teammates and stuff, yeah. and cleaning the boots of you know legends at Middlesbrough, like yeah. his boyhood, boyhood club. Is that something that you would like to see in the modern game? I, I, I think they need to do it. I think you are is your apprenticeship. You, you go to plumbers, bricklayers, and all that. They have to go and do the, the dirty bit. side of it. They have to go and carry the bricks to the to the bricklayer. Yeah. You know, if you go and, and, you're, and you're a plumber, you're the one that actually has to clear the toilet out. As, as, that's probably your, probably your first. Jobs as, as as being a plumber. I, I think it's something that gives you a good grounding in the game, um, and I, I just think it teaches you sort of. One thing that I think's gone out of the game is just like a, a discipline, you know, like just a punctuality, being on time, and little things like that, and treating people around you with respect and and that sort of stuff. I think is something that's going out of the game because I think youngsters are given too much too early. Yeah. They don't actually go out and earn the right to to play in the first team to earn the big money. You get some players in these top Premier League clubs that are earning sort of tens of thousands of pounds but have never been anywhere near kick, kicking a ball for the first team. And they play in these big sort of, they're in these big training grounds 
and they don't want to go out and do the, the, the hard yards of playing in League One, League Two and the, the conference at times to go and um, to go and give themselves a career. And then at 22, 23, when they get released from the big clubs, they won the wire. They can't go and find a club like that because they've never experienced what it's like at, that, at, at, at where they are. So I think like apprenticeships as well in football or in, a, in any walk of life, they install a work ethic into you, didn't you, which you haven't necessarily got as a 16-year-old kid who's just come out of school or whatever because you're used to kind of, you know, school work, messing about with your mates or whatever. So like if you go, when you go into an apprenticeship, you, like you say, you get all the shitty jobs. So, but it's not a case of giving the apprentice all the crap jobs. It's a, like that learning, that work, work ethic from it. And like you say, like respect and things like that. And I think, um, yeah, you had the nail on the head. Is young players, like you look in the Premier League, you could look at all the sort of the larger clubs. There's players there on thousands of pounds a week, like hundreds of thousands of pounds a week in some cases. And they're nowhere near the first team, yeah. never have been. But they don't want to go out on loan. But then, like you say, they don't want to go out on loan. But when they get released, they also some of them struggle when they do get a club in the championship or League One, because they're not used to the physical side of it. But also, they're not used to playing week in, week out. Because yeah. it's I a different level in the under twenty three. Yeah, no, it's a totally different level. It's a different type of football. Playing for three points on a Saturday afternoon when you've got managers' jobs on the line, you've got hundreds, thousands of fans in there that. That's something hard to adapt to as well as a young player when you go out on loan. I, th I think it's key. I, I think it does two things. It gives you experience of playing men's football and the, and the bits we've just spoke about there. But it also gives you, if you're at, say, just for Cardiff for argument's sake, or one of the big championship Premier League clubs, if you actually drop down to League One, League Two and actually go on loan for six months, three months, however long it is, you actually realise if it doesn't work out here, that's the next level. Yeah. And you can actually come back up from that loan thinking, do you know what, I, that's what I need to do that. If I want to be successful at the club I'm at, that's the levels I need to get to. You know, and th sometimes it can motivate players to mm. go and be better yeah. and, do, and do things right. So it, it, it works both ways. You, you, you learn, A, the, the experience of playing in the game, but also the, uh, it, it can give you that kick out the backside if you, if you have rested on your laurels a little bit to, to go to the next level. What were you like as a, like a 16, 17-year-old, having not done the apprentice side of it? Were you like resting on your laurels at that point? I was, always in, I was always in around. I was always in and around sort of the lads. One of my best mates was an apprentice at the same mm. time, so I'd always, because I was lucky enough to have a car, and that, I'd always be sort of hang around. I wouldn't sort of do the boots, but I'd hang around with him, and yeah. I'd maybe do an extra gym session in the afternoon, and then drive him home. We'd kind of have a snooker, have a bit of pie and mash, and that sort of stuff together. So. I was always in and around it, so I knew the hard work that the boys went into. But I always had that sort of work ethic and that drive that if I, if I stepped off of that, if I, if I wasn't giving 100% in training in game, I was never anywhere near the player that I, I needed to be. I needed to be on the, on the cusp, hence why I probably got sent off so much. I needed to be on that, on that line, um, otherwise I, 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 was ne I, was, I wasn't the player that I needed to be. You know, and I think that was the difference, and uh, probably one of the regrets of my career would be that I got sent off too many times. Um, but I, I just needed to, I needed, I was always teetering on that, that to get the best out well, of me. It? It's like that motivation, yeah. that fire, and I think most of the best players in the world have got that, though, haven't they? Like that, they got a bit of an edge to them. I wasn't the best player in the world. Don't, <laughs> don't, say, that. don't say that. So, don't say so that. But just, <laughs> that was me, and no, I was I always like, I. Had, I'd, I was always known as a, as a bit of a leader from, from when I was from a young age. Obviously, obviously I was 17 and, and captain of, 
of Leighton Orient, I think, A, because I was that sort of leader, but B, I think they wanted to try and nick a few quid for me and, and sell me on, and that was just a, another way of just obviously promoting me a little bit in the, from, from their point of view. But you know, I've always captained the, the, the clubs I've played for, so it was always something that was in me to be that leader, to drive things on, and, and I think that's probably what helped me have the career that I had. Yeah, so you mentioned you grew up in Bethnal Green. There's um, obviously lots of f famous uh, names and that from that area of the world, including the craze. Yeah. Um, obviously boxing and your call and stuff. What was it like for you growing up there? Uh, I, 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 I wouldn't have wanted to, to grow up in a better place, to be fair. I, I, I loved it as a youngster, you know, sort of the, some of the characters you had around the place. Like on a Sunday afternoon, I'd play on a Sunday morning and my dad would go down the pub on a Sunday afternoon for a couple of drinks before we went out. I'd always go down the pub with him, sit there, and just uh, just some of the characters, some of the people of his friends that they'd give you a couple of quid, go down the street shop, go and get you some. Mm -hmm. It's just little things like that that I, I loved. And it, it was just it was a great upbringing for me. My, my dad instilled a sort of uh, a respect and a determination into my into me when I when I grew up. He was one of them. That, he wouldn't take me to training unless my, my schoolwork was up to date, I'd, all my homework was done. So I'd get home from school, I'd get all my homework done. Five o'clock, he'd come home from work, straight out, take me to training. So from that point of view, he had that, so I had that discipline and that, and that work ethic from an early age from them. But um, yeah, it's just, it was just a, a great place to, to grow up. And I don't think I'd want to bring my kids up there now. It's changed a lot from, yeah. from back in the day. But um, yeah, it, it, for, for me at that moment in time, it was, just, it was a wonderful place to, to, to grow up. For me, like I've never been there, but like it reminds me, or but when I hear about it, should I say, it, I always think of like a quite community-based place, like all the people sort of know each other and are quite friendly and whatever to each other, and they, you know, anyone would do anything for anyone. I don't know if that's what it's like. No, no, just, it, uh, it was back in the day. My dad had never locked his car, you know. He just yeah, that's somebody would steal something from the car, like and everybody was in the car, so they smashed the window, and you have to deal with that and. You'd go out of the house and, and leave the door open as well. You ought to leave it unlocked. It's, it was just—it was one of them places where everybody just looked after everyone, and yeah, it, it was just like a real community and a, a good place to grow up. Yeah, unfortunately, there's not many communities like that there's anymore. Not anymore. anymore. <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't leave you wouldn't leave your car open. You're right. you certainly wouldn't leave your boots open outside of a studio. Or no, something. you're right there, mate. Howard. After leaving the, leaving the <laughs> <key>. <laughs> um, so you were—you signed your first pro contract, seventeen. What were those sort of first couple of years like as a first team player? Like, was it difficult to adapt? Because obviously you're 17, but you're playing with men now. It's all systems go in it. There's no um, kind of yeah, that, in between. Yeah, just a massive learning curve. You know, every game I, I made a few mistakes that, that cost goals. You know, and you, to be fair to the to the experienced pros that are in there and around it, they. I, I think they. Could, I don't know if they could see that I was a good player or what, but they they gave me the benefit of the doubt. Which was all you can ask, you know. They just kept encouraging me, making sure, and I, I, I'm hoping, I'm glad I sort of grew into the player that I grew into, you know. And I think it was just because I had the support of the players there. One of the biggest ones, obviously, I was lucky enough, obviously, for Morient to go to Oxford. But when I went to Oxford, we were in the Championship at the time, uh, um, at 19 years of age. The uh, the squad of players there taught me a lot, you know. Good experienced players, like obviously, Orient. I had people like Gary Bellamy, Glenn Cockrell, that had played Colin West. Sort of played hundreds of games in in sort of league football, yeah. and they, they, they you just every day you, you travel up to games, you're sitting on the coach with them, you just be asking little questions, and they talk you through their experiences, what they did well, what they what, what they didn't do, and you learn from their mistakes a little bit, and um, 
They're playing alongside people like Matty Elliott and Phil Gilchrist at Oxford when I moved to there. You know, they both went on to have brilliant careers in, in the Premier League and just learning from them. I was, I was like, a, I suppose from sort of 17 to 20, 21, I was like a sponge moving to Birmingham. Like people like Steve Bruce and Gary Ablett, obviously, God rest his soul. So, yeah, just learning all the time from them sort of players and I think that stood me in good stead for the career that I had. In those, say, early years, just, I don't know, say, up to, say, age 25, who would you say is, like, the most influential person on your career? Um, I'd, I'd say uh, John Sitton, um, the Mountain Manager at Orient, was a big one. Um, he was he was nuts, um, but probably one of the best coaches I ever worked under. Mm. You know, so from that point of view, he, he taught me a lot in them really early stages of my career. Um, trying to think, of it. I was like people like Michael Johnson, who I've, I played at Birmingham, I played with him for sort of 150 out of the, out of the 200 games I played for Birmingham. I played alongside him, so just learning from him. Um, but yeah, like Matty Elliott, Dennis Smith was a manager at Oxford, who was a centre half at Stoke and, and that sort of stuff. But um, yeah, just try to just try to every game, every training session, just try to go out and be the best that I could be. And these players would all give me just little snippets of of what they learnt over their careers and uh, mm. and try to learn from each and every one of them. I like it. When how did you find out the, about the the move to Birmingham and like how did you feel about <coughs> that at, at the time? Uh, my uh, my agent was um, he, he he was very good. He only had if you want him, he, he only had about twelve players. Didn't have very many players. And I just said to him, I, I never wanted to know if there was a move coming or anything, just keep it quiet. When, I, when, when it was going to happen, then that's when I wanted to know. All I wanted to do was just concentrate on playing football. Um, he just rang me and said, obviously, uh, Birmingham had put in an offer to, to like Oxford. Um, we're going out to meet Trevor Francis this evening for dinner. And, and, and that was that. So I went up, met Trevor Francis for dinner. Dad drove up from London as well and had a chat. And obviously, it was... For me, everything was just a little... I wouldn't say everything was surreal, but it was like as if I knew things were going to happen. I always, I, I, even from a young age, I, I always thought I was going to be good enough or lucky enough to, to, to have a career in the game. And things just, every year, would just go from, just get better, better, better yeah. as it went on. So, um, yeah, it was just nice going to meet Trevor Francis and then uh, getting the move to Birmingham. Well, was Trevor Francis like a quality player? Very good player, even in the training sessions then, sort of 40, in his mid-40s. We used to have, because um, he was that good, we used to have a little fund going along the, amongst, the, uh, amongst the players that if you kicked him and drew blood, you got a bit of money out of mm -hmm. fine money. So I'd always be trying to, trying to kick him. Trying to, but he was that good, you couldn't get anywhere near him. Even, oh, yeah. even, at mid even, even in his so. mid-40s. Wow. He, he was such a good player, and he'd, he'd join in training and stuff. And Sometimes you just look at him and go, wow. And I think sometimes he'd sort of he'd do a finishing session with the boys. He'd actually show them how to do it, and because they couldn't do it, I think he used to frustrate him a little bit because the, the the lads yeah. probably weren't at the quality or the standards that he'd set himself from from when he was a player. But I wouldn't say he's the best man manager, but he did very well with a group of players. His recruitment was good, um, and to be fair to the lads at Birmingham at that time, we sort of we, we, we sort of run the place for him a little bit. We 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 managed the. The, the, the discipline amongst the amongst the lads within the dressing room, and we just had a good bunch of lads that that, that, that got the job done on the pitch. You mentioned like discipline. Obviously, you mentioned yourself like you're a bit of a leader at all the clubs you went to. Did you, was there any ever ever a point in any part of your career where you sort of maybe didn't have the discipline that you look back with hindsight that you think you should have had? I, I, I've always said, and I said, 
at Sheffield Wednesday, I went into Sheffield Wednesday at captain after I left, left Cardiff. Yeah. And um, I learned more then about what, what the dynamics in a dressing room that, than at any of my other clubs. When you walked into the dressing room, there was just something not quite right in there. I mean, there was, there was a couple of players that were at the club that didn't want to be at the club. You know, and that they're trying to get them off, but they're on big wages and couldn't get them out of there. And they just disrupted the, the, the dynamics with the, within the within the team. And if I, if I knew now what I knew then, I definitely would try a little bit harder to, to change it around. But you learn from you learn from the mistakes, and we end up getting relegated, not because we were we were the worst side, but because the players we had in there, we should be definitely have, have achieved something at the football club. But the, there, there was something. There was a dynamic in the dressing room that, that, that wasn't right, and in the end, it, uh, it cost us with relegation. I find that interest really interesting because uh, literally on Monday, uh, myself and Rodri were talking on a show about um, Man United at the moment, and there's a couple of people in there who you think it's a combination of maybe some bad eggs, but also some players who probably don't want to be there, and you can see that it's affecting. The kind of the team spirit and the the dressing room atmosphere and the new managers coming in and struggling, like, and Rodri said straight away he said it only takes like one person to not be happy yeah. and they might not even be like a troublemaker they might just be not enjoying it and not staying there so they come into training every day they're moaning to their mate and he's not happy because he's whatever he's done like the manager and then it suddenly it just it can spread very quick. Yeah. Is that this type of thing? It was at Sheffield Wednesday. Yeah, think, no, definitely, just... definitely. You, got, you had players that were blaming everybody else for for their mistakes. That nobody sort of took ownership of what was going on at the within the dressing room. You know, little clicks where the, you'd have your little mates. Well, I'm doing all right. My mates doing all right, and didn't really worry yeah. about what else what else was going on in the team. And as captain, I probably I didn't see it there at the time. And like if, as I said, if I, if it was me now, I definitely would have changed it up. Dave, obviously, when I was at Cardiff, I'd, I'd get into training at sort of 8.30 in the morning and Dave Jones would be in there and we'd sit there and have a, have a coffee and have a, have a breakfast, bit of, touch of breakfast together before anybody. And one of the best bits of advice, and I'd obviously take it into my managerial career as, as that develops, was he said, get rid of the crap before they get rid of you, Percy. And, that, and that's the ultimately, that's what it is. You've got to get rid of the players that you don't want within the dressing room because they, if, if you've got a bad egg or you've got someone in there that... Look, it can upset everything that goes on within the football club. It's, uh, it, it's, spread it's, it's quick huge. Oh, well. yeah, it's massive. So uh, if there's one bit of advice Dave Jones give me, then it'd be that. Yeah, we'll get to Dave Jones in a sec. <laughs> but um, the Birmingham one as well, fascinating. You mentioned Steve Bruce. Like Steve Bruce, I think him and Gag Pallister don't get the credit, actually, that they deserve for the, the footballers they were, not just the defenders. Uh, but Steve Bruce was a quality defender. Was... Were you brought in to play alongside Steve Bruce? I was yeah. brought in to replace Steve Bruce. Oh, so, so me, me so that's the compliment in itself. No, I've been mean, Bruce. You never really see eye to eye. Obviously, he was. The, I came in in the February, and he and he left in the in that summer. But the the probably three four months there, the playing alongside him, just little things like when to run a centre forward underneath and bring the ball down, and little things like marking ball side goal side of, the, of defenders. And it, 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 I learned a lot from playing alongside him, as much as I was brought in to replace him. He, he he was fantastic, and I don't, listen, how he never got an England cap, I will never know. Crazy, you man. know, it's phenomenal. And what you look back at the the videos of the, his time at Man United and being captain goals. of that, he was um, he'd, he'd, he'd score vital goals defensively. He was he, 
he, he never had any pace really. He was only probably five ten, five eleven, but he let so he let really well. Just a, just a, a top quality top quality centre half and gone on to have a brilliant managerial career as well. Mm. So um, yeah, he, 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 he was fantastic and yeah, learned a lot from him. He scored, I think, we were looking the other week, I think 30 or 40 goals for United, which is insane for a yeah, centre-back, isn't it? Half, yeah. But um, did you say you didn't see eye-to-eye -eye with him? Not really. I, I don't know if it's because I was brought in to replace him. When he came back as manager and got us promoted at Birmingham, and I had obviously I had a really good season, the first year back in the, in, in the Premier League, I had a really good season, started the next season really well. Um, and then I got a little ankle injury that was like I was supposed to have a tiny little operation on it during an uh, international break, in and out, and I've been back two weeks later to to to, to play. And um, I got an infection, got septicemia. I was in hospital for sort of ten days with it. So what were turned into two weeks turned into four months. I was out for four months with it, and in that time he went and signed Matty Upson. And and after that we just yeah I, I was sort of in and out, never really played too much. Um, yeah, probably played sort of 20, 30 games after that for the club, and and then West Brom came in and, and offered offered a million quid, I think it was, and and the club accepted it. I'd only had only had a year left on my contract at Birmingham, and I'd like to have stayed there, but uh, I think if I'd have stayed there, I'd probably the Cardiff moved a year later, probably wouldn't have come about. Mm. So. What about uh, like best and worst moment at Birmingham? Um, obviously, best one was probably for me personally. Obviously, got promoted, but I missed out on the final for an up for another suspension. Um, obviously, semi-final got sent off against Sheffield United last man got brought, uh, brought the lad down. We was one 0 up and ten minutes to go. So I say that was the reason why we got yeah. to the final. But um, so missed out on the final there. But that season, I, I, I think I played 44 out of 46 league games, which was which was probably the most I played at any time in a in a career in a, in a league. So getting promoted there, obviously, uh, winning the cup final was was fantastic. To score in a cup final was was everybody's dream you know I think as a young kid you dream about that so from that point of view was was brilliant for me um, and I think I just enjoyed it every minute of, of, of playing at Birmingham it was, it's a fantastic football club and yeah, it's uh, obviously privileged to play there. Yeah it's interesting every footballer I speak to then when they talk about the the League Cup they all call it something different so you call yeah. it the Wellington Cup, Cup. Uh, Andy calls it the Coca-Cola Cup yeah. and Kev calls it, what's he call it, the Carling Cup. Yeah. Every, they all call it something different. Carabao Cup it now, it's unreal, isn't it? The different sponsors. Used to be the Milk Cup as well, it's yeah, scary. It's insane. Um, so, leaving Birmingham, would you say you were a little bit reluctant or were you ready to go? No, a little bit, little bit reluctant. I'd, I'd like to have stayed. Is one of them. I, I did eight and a half years. I'd like to have done ten years. You know, is, I think that to be at a club for that long is is would, would be brilliant. But um, you, you have to move on. Obviously, they moved on to West Brom, and that was the great escape here. Um, so it's obviously, it, it was brilliant to do that for a year. But I played the first twenty odd games of the season. Brian Robson came in, um, changed changed things around, and. I never, I never sort of played the last dozen games of the season, which was disappointing. But to, to miss out on being part of that great escape, but mm. um, obviously the, the games leading up to it, I was captain and, and stuff like that. So it was good to be involved with that. Um, but as I said, if, if that hadn't happened, if it, if he had come in and said that he'd like me, I'd still been at West Brom and I wouldn't have got the opportunity to come and play for Cardiff. So from that point of view, it was. Uh, it was the right decision. Right, I'm glad Brian Robson came in then. But, oh. um, no, uh, funny enough, but again, like Andy, uh, obviously he's a borough lad, and he was uh, Brian Mor Brian Robson was his manager, and um, 
he speaks exceptionally highly of him. What was it he liked to work with you? Because obviously it's a different experience for you, isn't it? Because whereas Andy was like a kid who had like this legend coaching him, like you've been captain all season, and he's come in and you've kind of been yeah, moved listen, out of the side. I, I've, I, obviously, I, I speak to a few people still at the club. Like Jeff Horsfield, I played at Birmingham. Darren Carter played at Birmingham West Brom. We have the same with Horse. And, and they loved Brian Robson to mm. bits. I, I, I didn't. You know, I, I see a different side of him. He, he, what he did at the end of that, that, that season was, was brilliant. You know, he, he got a group of lads together that, that got, went on to win sort of six out of 12 games um, to keep him in the division. Um, what went on after that, I, I, I think he just got a group of lads together that they liked to drink. They got on the, they got on the pop every now and then for, throughout that time, and, and it worked. They carried on doing that the next season, hence why yeah. three months in he got the because it, it doesn't work. You know, you can do it for a, a certain amount of time, and then you need that discipline. You need that. You, you need that sort of not togetherness, but you need that, that that coaching. You need to get that that that, that, that discipline. discipline as well, as well, yeah. So it, it worked for the time for, for for what it did, but obviously once 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 he'd got the job permanently and he, and he was in there, it, it, it didn't work out, and he and he lost his job after that, but. As, as a player, he was awesome, you know, was a, yeah, when he was at Man United, what, what a player. But as a manager, I got like, little things. I sat next to him in the um, like, in the uh, Player of the Year awards uh, the day after. So the Player of the Year awards the day after we stayed up. Okay. So li literally all the lads had been on like a 24-hour bender yeah. sort of thing, just on the So we were there. And he was supposed to present Young Player of the Year award, and he was, he was that drunk, he didn't. You know, mm. He had people coming up to ask for his autograph, and where he's signing the autograph on the sort of navy and white bit of a shirt, he'd end up signing the tablecloth rather than signing the shirt. Oh, cause he, and then by 10 o'clock at night, he was asleep in around the corner. And so if you manage, so little things like if you manage to be like that, that's not yeah. on, you know. You, you, yeah, you got, so you got to have that. You got to have that balance. I suppose. Yeah, you got You got to. I guess as a manager, you've got to be almost. Like above that slightly, haven't you? Yeah, that's like it. Go, go and have, have a drink, drink go and do that, but you've, you've got to have that. And, and I think as a manager, once you've got promoted, your job is then to go and, get, to go and keep you up in the, in the division next year. That's your next job, yeah. not to go out and, and enjoy your thingy with the lads. But listen, as a, as a man, I, I, thought, I thought he was he, he was very good, but as a manager, obviously, Andy Cowell says he, says he was excellent. And yeah. George, Jeff Horsfield says he was excellent, but... There's always two yeah, sides to every story. Yeah, Everybody has an opinion, so it's, it's the way of the world. Yeah, you get different people. Got just sometimes people people click, some people they don't. Sometimes just everyone's got different relationships, haven't they? And yeah. they see people a different way. But um, I think like with that, the Great Escape, it sounds like like that. You're right. It'll work for a short time. Like get out, get get on the beers and 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 have like a you create like a siege mentality almost on you and everyone's yeah. together. Everyone's enjoying it. But you're right; it's never going to last. Mm. Uh, you, you can't you can't sustain it, and yeah, and obviously that's what happened. But yeah, I'm, I'm, so glad, I'm glad it did happen. Right. Yeah, so that, I mean that must have been, even though you obviously disappointed to miss out on the latter part of the season, must have been amazing to be a part of that because like six out of twelve games is pretty unheard of, isn't it? Where for a no, team, no, 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 we, like we, we, we went and signed lads like uh, we had, we had Kieran Richardson come in, Kev Campbell came in from Everton, and. Um, yeah, as much as as much as I wasn't playing, I still enjoyed the ride. I still enjoyed the ride. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. I was in and around it. I was on the bench and and doing that sort of stuff. So it, it was good to be in and around it and just riding on the crest of a wave, being involved in it. That that did sort of that that 
the experience of it last game of the season because I think there was like four results had to go our way. We had to beat Portsmouth, I think there was Fulham, Norwich and A and other. There was f like three other teams down there and they all needed to get beat or draw and we needed to beat Portsmouth and all four results went for us. You know, so it's mad to, to do that going into the last game of the season. So, um, yeah, it was, a, it was a good achievement. and It's on the CV, but it's not one that I look fondly on. Yeah, interesting. So, obviously, we talked about how you came about going to Cardiff um, and you met Dave Jones and that. But let's talk a little bit about... Uh, let's talk a bit about the man himself, because he's quite a polarising character. Um, like we do, like I said, live shows and stuff. Again, Andy... He fell out with Dave Jones in quite a big way. Dave Jones, but Dave Jones basically didn't fancy him, so he isolated him, made him train with the kids, and then eventually he left. And Andy had they had words, but Kev had a pretty good relationship with him, and has got really sort of you know he speaks highly of him. Um, as a fan, for me, I'm like like those days were some of the best following Cardiff around the country yeah. and that. Like, where do you stand with Dave Jones? Like, I, what was your relationship like with him, but also as a coach? And my, my relationship was really good with him. We, we fell out towards the end, similar to Andy Campbell, but I think that was Dave's way of dealing with, like, like I said before, getting rid of, um, get rid of the crap before they get rid of you. That was his way of, like, let's push him out, let's get him away on. from there. And, and that was the way. But for, for three and a half years, I, I loved playing underneath him. He, 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 the players he brought into the football club, were, were, were excellent, you know, he, he had a way of, his recruitment was superb, he had a way that he wanted to play, and, and the players that he brought in fitted that perfectly, you know, you could see that every year he just got better and better and yeah. better, he brought better quality players in, um, I think he got backed from above, which is, which is all you can ever do, but you could just see him building, and over six years, that they deserved to go and get promoted, and be without obviously ultimately it wasn't obviously Dave that got the got the club promoted but he kickstarted yeah. it without no hundred percent he was uh, he, he was the he was the, the linchpin of that um, and I think I was probably one of his first signings when he came in to do that so mm. you guys it's, it's all me incredible <laughs> players though as well no, like was, centre backs you had like Glenn Lubens as well yeah Glenn Lubens Roger Johnson were were, were brilliant you know players. in the end them two come in and they actually after I think after three years they actually stepped on and they. They became the, 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 the pair at the back, and I sort of took a back seat on it. You had Joe Ledley, Aaron Ramsey, Chris Gunter, you know, some of the boys. Paul Parry was obviously wide. Steve McFowell in the middle of the park. Jay Boffroy, Michael. You could go through the team. team Jason Kumas in that first Jason year. Jason Kumas. I was going to ask you about him. He's a, he's, he, he was an enigma. I played with him at Westwood. Just an, just an enigma of a bloke. You, you could never sit down and have a conversation with him. Mm. He, he sort of since he's finished playing football, no one, yeah. no, no one knows where I he is. He's just, older than myself. He's just he's gone impossible. and gone on the missing list, you know. But he was um, what a player, what a player. That, like that, that time obviously you had Pitt, Jace, you had um, Jeff Whitley, uh, Phil Mulryan. Ryan. They were they were free, and they they were like the three amigos. Them three, mm. they were sort of in and around Cardiff. Tuesday afternoons, they'd all go out on the razzle together and that, and that sort of stuff. And uh, it was trying. One of my jobs as captain was just trying to keep on top of them, trying to yeah, so that they didn't ruin what was what was happening at the yeah. football club. I think Dave sort of realised with them, free JC sort of stomached it because of the player he was, but the other like with Jeff and, and Phil Mulryan, he sort of he, he knew that they were there supporting Jason Kumas a little bit. He sort yeah. of did it, but within a year that he'd, he'd eased them two out, and obviously Jace went back to West Brom, I believe, but. 
um, yeah, he, he, he developed and, and, and brought a really, really good squad of footballers there, and, and a squad that, that, that ultimately went to went went to get him into the Premier League. Yeah, Jason Kumar said that season he had at Cardiff was just unreal. Some of the goals he scored, but like, I um I met him in two thousand and four. I took my older son, who's actually like seventeen now, but which is mad. I took him as a baby, and I got a picture of Jason holding him as he's like a couple, of, probably about three months old. Yeah. But we were getting a tour of the ground uh, of Ninian Park. And we had the baby with us, and um, I think Jason was just in like a cafe area. He wasn't supposed to be like meeting fans and stuff. He just happened to be in the room yeah. where the guy was taking us round on the tour. And of course, it's Jason Kumas. So all these car fans have kind of like gone to him, and he's a bit like. Oh, Stand didn't off. want any of that. Yeah, he, yeah. he, he hated the publicity of it all, yeah. But he, to be fair, and he, the picture's funny though, because it's like a, it's a really nice picture. <laughs> He's like that, just like holding the baby. Awkward, like yeah. a, but um, he just seems, he seemed, he seemed like a really sound lad, but he just seemed so uncomfortable, like speaking to strangers or just like speaking like with yeah, other people around. He, even within, even within the dressing room, he was, he was very quiet. Never really, you never really see him sort of. Be the life and soul of the mm. dressing room. He just went about his business, um, and obviously, I think, I think, with Jeff and Phil, and the, they sort of looked after him, and took him under the, their wing a little bit, and um, I think he had, a, he had a really good first season when he was at the club, and um, yeah, it was, a, it was a good first couple of years, to be fair. Who do you think, um, like, who was the worst trainer when you were there at Cardiff? Like, in terms of, I don't know, it could be. Laziness could be bothered. Just didn't uh, like training. There was a few. Um, obviously, Kev Campbell came down to Cardiff, didn't he? And Kev yeah. was one of them. He was, he was always up for training. But I think, obviously, towards the end of his career, there, his, his sort of legs started started to go a little bit. Um, Roger Johnson was the moaniest man in the world. <laughs> I, I, I like Roger to bits, but he, he'd moan about everything. Like the balls were pumped up too much. Bibs were stinking. Pitch was crap. There'd always be something for for Dodge to moan about. Um, trying to think, who would be the worst trainer? Another quality player, by the way, Roger Johnson. Well, no, the, the career he went to have was uh, was fantastic. You know, um, like him and Glenn. But um, yeah, worst trainer. I'm trying. To, well, we was all we was always all right. You know, yeah, we yeah. always had a we always had a good bunch of a good. We had to have a good work ethic. We wasn't always. We was never the best team in the division, mm -hmm. but. We, we always had that work, work ethic about us and, and, and the way we went about things. Um, yeah, so from that point of view, it was a, it was a good time. Yeah, you missed out on the playoffs, didn't you? like by a point and I think a couple of points. But the, the, the one, the one was my last season at the club when we got beat by Sheffield Wednesday, last game of the season, was uh, I think three or four games prior to that was the, the Preston game. I think if we lost 6-0 away to Preston. And I think if we lose 5-0... We get in the playoffs. Right, we yeah. lose six 0 and they picked us on goal difference to get in there. You know, it's, uh, it's, how's that it's to hard. get over as a as a player? Is that something which plays on your mind afterwards? Um, it, it didn't play on my mind because I was sort of I was out the window already yeah, by then. Suppose, obviously, yeah. David already sort of squeezed me out. I nearly went to I nearly went to Norwich in the January with Brian Gunn was in charge at Norwich, and I think he was trying to sign Mark Hudson then, <coughs> and. Um, and it didn't quite go over the line mm. in February. Yeah, sorry, in the January transfer window, if he had brought Mark Hudson in, I was free to, to go to Norwich. Um, so I ended up staying around for, for, for the last six months of the season. Um, 
So for me, listen, I was gutted because no matter what he had gone on at the football club, no matter what my relationship with Dave was at the end, I, w I wanted to let the lads to do well. I wanted the club to do well. It was, uh, yeah, I suppose I you've built towards that that yeah, moment, haven't you? Like if I'd, they get to the playoffs and go up, you've still been a part of that. Yeah, I, I'd, I'd loved it to have happened then, you know what I mean? And I was, I was disappointed to kept, like, in the last game of captain was Sheffield Wednesday away and we lost 1-0 from a bloody, like a worldy goal. And I think if we nick a point from that game, we're in the playoffs. But, excuse me, I'd love that to have been my, my last game, if yeah. you know what I mean, to, to have been into the playoffs and gone from there. But it wasn't to be and, uh, you know, disappointing to, to leave. When you're getting squeezed out of a club like that, whereby it's not necessarily your choice to go, how difficult is it to kind of you know go in every day, train and do your hardest? Are you trying to prove a point and get back in favour, or are you kind of like got your eye on other clubs? Or I, I, I never, I never looked at every time I'd, I crossed the white line. I always wanted to go out and do my best for the team that I was playing for. It was never, I never looked at. I never went into anything and thought, you know what, I can't be bothered today. Mm. I had, like I said, I had to be on the metal all the time, or I, I, was, I was never, I was never good enough. So from that point of view, no matter what I was doing, whether or not it was my last game for Cardiff, first game for, whatever, I, I just, got, I'd always go out and give my best. I, I'd always, if I was out of the side, I'd always encourage the boys that would be playing, I'd always be there and, 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 and support them, and I think I showed that. Even when I weren't playing, I'd go and tra I'd travel the length and breadth of the country and go and watch them. I'd be in the stands watching the, the boys. I think Leeds away, I end up watching. I, I watched them beat uh, Cardiff beat Leeds at there. So I'd, I'd always been around it, and it was just something that, that I always always wanted to do. Always wanted to be in around it, and um, yeah, I, I, I was disappointed to leave Cardiff because the, the lads were excellent. Like some of the stories from like pre-season tours and that sort of stuff are unbelievable. It's, Kev's probably gone through and, he's, uh, and he's stuff. told us a few of them. So, fire extinguisher story. Were you there then? Yeah, I was there for the fire extinguisher story. I was there for, I remember going to a, going to a little uh, a nightclub and something had happened to Rog. He'd lost his shirt and he had no top on. And I remember going to the bin to uh, tip the bin out, put a, took the plastic bag, the black plastic bag, ripped it out, put it on as a top. End up walking to a nightclub. He's got a bin bag on as a top. You know, <laughs> it's like Jesus. some of the things you did, like three, four in the morning and. Uh, but I think that's why we were such such a good group back then because we sort of went out together, we 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 played hard played hard together. But when we when we were there to train, we actually trained hard together yeah, as well. Definitely. So, did you you didn't go to Millwall from Cardiff? Did you? you went to Sheffield Wednesday? Oh, went Sheffield Wednesday and then, uh, and then went to Millwall from there. So we yeah. talked a little bit about Sheffield Wednesday. Um, I want to definitely I want to talk about Millwall because, like you mentioned, your boyhood club was that kind of like full circle almost for you like you knew you were sort of in the latter stages of your playing career was Millwall kind of like a bucket list type thing to play for him yes and no yeah well it, listen, everybody wants to play for their boy club but the, it wasn't really a bucket list for me it was, it was more for like my dad mm. you know I remember obviously when I left Sheffield Wednesday I, like, I remember um, Milan Mandovich had just bought the club and I'd, in my, I was in the second year at, at Sheffield Wednesday so I'd have been 34 I remember him coming in to me and he went, and I had a clause in my contract. If I played 30 games in my second year, I got an extra year. So I'd played 28 games. So it was only in the January. And he, um, so first day he pulled in, Milo Mandric sat me in. He said, Percy, I love you, man. Mm -hmm. You're a great player, but you're not playing 30 games for my football club. No worries, chairman. That was it. So in the end, I'd, I'd, obviously, I terminated my contract, got paid up a little bit. So I was like towards the end of the January transfer window and I was without a club. 
and that was the Thursday, and um, just I had a phone call from a mate of mine called Dave. It was like forty Dave Ford played in goal for me. Yeah. He went, Percy, we're desperate for a centre half. He said, I'll stick you into, I'll, I'll give you Kenny Jacket's number. So I rang Kenny Jacket on the Thursday night. I said, look, Kenny, this is the situation. I've just been released from Sheffield Wednesday. I'm, I'm free to leave. He said, I know you're looking for a centre. Oh, I've just signed one from Norwich. Yeah, I've just signed know. one from Norwich, Percy. I went, no worries, that was it. Ten minutes later, he, put, he phoned me back. Percy, it's done. We're sorted. That deal's done. Let's get down. So I went down, signed the contract, and I obviously made my debut the next day on the, on the Saturday morning. At Les was your so while that was all going, I didn't even tell me dad. I just left it, left him to it. And uh, my, my, my dad was, um, I probably, well, I played 700 games, league games with him throughout my career. He probably watched 690 of them. You know, he, he watched me, he, he followed me everywhere, like Newcastle away on a Tuesday night. From cold. He'd, he'd, he'd leave London at midday, get out there, get back at four o'clock in the morning, go work the next day. And my old mate, I, even when I was playing for Plymouth at 37, he, he, he came down to Plymouth and watched me so down there. So he used to travel like to watch you play for Cardiff? For oh, yeah, no, every, I don't think he probably missed a game for Cardiff. That's you know what I mean? Like Everywhere, like Middlesbrough away, all the home games, he'd come down. Sometimes he'd come down on the Friday night, stay, stay mm. with us. And, but yeah, it, everywhere he'd go. And, like, it's so incredible, that, isn't it? He had, obviously, early on, in his, he had a friend of his that just travel everywhere. And then uh, my uncle got on it and... To be fair, my uncle liked to drink, and he'd, so my dad would drive. My uncle would be on it in the Plows Bar, and just used to be with him. So he, he had somebody to travel with him. But yeah, he, 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 he was fantastic. So when I rang him and said, "Look, Dad, we're going, going to Leicester tomorrow," obviously because Millwall were playing away. He went, "Millwall got Leicester tomorrow." I said, "Yeah, we're going to Millwall tomorrow. Uh, Leicester tomorrow. I've just signed for Millwall." We went, "No, he was like, he couldn't mm. believe it." So uh, he's, he's still got the, my, my debut shirt up, and he's uh, in his living room, and. Uh, yeah. and that sort of stuff so it was, it, was, it was great for him and uh, when I scored my first goal at the, at the den as well was uh, for the club he was, he, he was loving den. it old den, new I, den. I, I was lucky that I played at the old den um, as a youngster um, I used to go down and, and stand on the halfway line at the old den that's where obviously I used to go on a Saturday afternoon with my dad to watch, to watch the football but yeah it was, uh, it was nice to play for the football club and uh, exactly. yeah. um, I want to talk to you a bit about your sort of Post playing career, so like obviously you're at, I know you're at Cardiff now, but just before that you um you were at Oxford for a bit weren't you yep. doing the sort of academy stuff, is that like is the plan to get into like management at a football club or I've, is it you enjoy working with the younger players? I enjoy working with younger players. I also enjoy making mistakes with it, my mistakes with the younger players as well. I think I I believe that you have to go and do your apprenticeship again. You know, okay. obviously. I'm now in my. I'm now 17 years of age doing my doing my my playing apprenticeship, but now my coaching apprenticeship or managing management apprenticeship. Um, I want to go into management. I'm I'm not ready anywhere near ready mm. at this moment in time. I I don't want to. I see this as a as a career for me. I I still want to be doing it when I'm 65 years of age. I don't want to go in and do a job for for 18 months or for a year and you get the sack, you get you get left there and 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 that's it done. I want to go. I want to go and do it for the next 20, 25 years, and uh, that's where that's where I want to be. Um, whether or not that happens for me, touch wood, it will. I'm, I'm, yeah, touch wood. I, I work. I, I, I'm working hard. I've, I've done it the hard way. I've gone to non-league. Obviously, I was still playing. Did some assistant manager stuff from there. I've gone down to the grassroots and obviously the academy side of things to to learn and and and, and that sort of stuff and be, and being around. The day-to-day, -day, making mistakes with the, the younger under-18s, under-16s, under 
under 23s, under 21s, and, um, and hopefully in sort of a year, two years, five years, ten years, however long it takes, when I am ready, hopefully it's, it'll stand me in good stead and give me that opportunity to, to go and have the career that I want in the, in I the would, management um, side. How would Dan Pearce, the manager, deal with Dan Pearce, the player? Um, I think I would. I think he would have loved to have had him in, the, in his team. I guess I hope he would have done anyway. I hope. All I, all I can ever say is, whenever whoever I played for, I'd go out and just give my best for the shirt that I was playing for. And I think as a manager, I think that's all you can ever ask. As a fan, as a, that's all you can ever ask from any player that goes onto the onto the pitch. As long as you give your all, you're going to make mistakes. Um, as long as you learn from that mistake and you don't keep making the same mistakes, then we, we, you, you, you're going somewhere. There's a, mm. there's a there's a method to the madness that's going on. So, I, I think the manager would would like me in the side. He'd like me to be that leader. He'd like me to instill the discipline and respect and and um, and work ethic that I brought to to any to the football clubs I played for. And hopefully that's that's something that I can look for in a captain as we go forwards. Hundred percent. What about um? Like, how did the Cardiff, the return to Cardiff as the manager of the under-23s come about? Um, so I, I applied for um, the job before, when, when Morrow got it, when the gaffer yeah. got it. So I applied for it then, um, got down to it, so I had an interview, and as much as anything, it probably wasn't the right, the right time for me. I'd done the 16s at Oxford, but I hadn't, and I'd sort of been in around the 18s, but... I wasn't actually in the building full time. Mm. I was still sort of part time. I was still playing a little bit, and so it probably wasn't the right time for me. And then obviously I'd, I'd been into Oxford for the last sort of eighteen months, doing the eighteens, doing the twenty-one, and then obviously got a phone call one Saturday evening from from obviously the gaffer, and he just said, "Look, Percy," he said, "I know you applied for the job the last time when when I got it." He said, "We're we're re-advertising for the job. It's going to be up for a couple of days." He said, "I'm telling you to apply for it." So. I applied for it and um, interviewed and, and ended up getting the job. So, to be, it's obviously, I've, I've got to thank the gaffer really for mm. for doing it. I I'm sure I'd have seen the advert. I'm sure I'd have seen it gone up to to do that. But you know, for for him to do that and and go out of his way to to approach me and and, and tell me about it and and actually sort of have the backing and bring me in, I can't thank him enough. And um, when you came back, the first day back, what was that like? To return to a club, obviously you had some good memories. That it, it was nice. It's, it's changed a lot. The club it hasn't changed a lot. Yeah, they're still the same people around. Like the kit men are all very similar. All the like the the kit ladies that are around the club. It's like people within the sort of like ticket office and all that sort of stuff. Most same of them people. are all still around. You know, yeah. like the media guys. A couple of the media guys were were here when I was when I was playing. So from that point of view. It hasn't changed because it's still got that sort of family feel within it, and that comes from the people that work around the club, the fans that are in and around it. I'm disappointed, obviously, that I've been to a couple of the home games and there's no being no fans in it. No. You know, so it'd be nice for the Forest game coming up. Hopefully, the fans will be back for that, and obviously see the crowd, see, see the crowd back in, and see the the, the place bouncing and, and and picking up results with a bit of luck. So, um, from that point of view, it, it's good to be back. It was one of them, obviously, Matt Bloxman, who's my, my assistant, who, to be fair to him, has been fantastic since I've been in. He's, he's really sort of done the transition into the football club. He, he, he's been superb. But within the day of me being in, he got COVID, and it was literally, there you go, Percy, deal with it on your own. Jesus. So, But that's, that's part and parcel of it. It was probably the best thing to happen, because it meant I just I was on the, yeah. on the training pitch with the boys, and 
it was sort of sink or swim put in the deep end. Yeah, I think in some ways that helps, doesn't it? Like, if you've just got to jump in and dive in and do it, you soon sort of, you know, you're 20 minutes in and you know where you go, like, whereas yeah. if you're kind of on the edge and... Yeah, you could just take around for a few days and... Yeah. And that was, as I said, it was probably the right thing to do for him. He just, like, chucked me in there and you just get on with it. And, and to be fair to the lads that have done, even the sort of the pros that have come down and played for uh, and been involved in the training sessions and the games we've done, they've, they've been fantastic with their... Their, their attitude to, to it, so can't fault them for it. Good stuff. Um, right, to finish off, I'm just going to throw a couple of questions at you. Um, what's the weirdest thing you've ever seen on a football pitch? Weirdest thing? One of the weirdest things I've ever had to do was um, a girl, when I was really young, a girl wanted me to sign her, her lips, but then kiss her after it, which was strange. <laughs> so I signed her lips and just left the two of that to mm. that. Uh, that was one of the one of the strangest things I've seen on a, on a football pitch. Um, I don't know. You should have told me about it. I could have had a think about it. I just went. I, I was, I was, I was, I was, to mind. Nothing but. really strange. I've seen like, streakers on the pitch. Yeah. They're random when they when they run on. You yeah, think what's yeah. going through your mind to do something like <laughs> that in front of thousands of people? Um, so from that point of view, yeah, that's probably the the, the strangest thing. Nothing untoward has gone. There you go, strange. So I played away from home uh, for Leighton Orient in the FA Cup, uh, Tivert and away, and we scored a goal at Orient, which didn't happen a lot, to be <laughs> fair. And um, there was this crowd surge, and all of a sudden the um, wall collapsed, oh, and everybody Christ. just ended up going straight over the top. And also, the other one was Millwall Cardiff, when the lad fell from the top tier. Oh, yeah, the fan. I remember that. Remember that? Yeah, yeah. yeah they obviously they had a drink and all that. So that was probably one of the weirdest ones I've seen. Yeah. What was that like? So like when you're on the pitch, or like in and around the pitch and that, like, do well, you know what's going on? Well, I think I think I remember it. There was a corner in the bottom of that, at that end, and obviously we're all defending the corner. And all of a sudden, out of the corner of your eye, you just see this big. Like, something just something yeah, catches, something your, just catches your eye. And there's this lad, and all of a sudden, like the stewards and everything just ran Jesus. straight over. Game sort of stopped. Me, paramedics and all that were there. But that, that was a little bit scary and the, to see someone like that. So that's a random thing. Really. Yeah, that is we'll really random, isn't it? Yeah. Jesus. Um, who's your angriest, angriest teammate you've ever played with? Uh, Roger Johnson would probably be up there as, as, angriest, okay. as an angry teammate. We, um, when I was at Birmingham, we had, a t we had a two players called... Alu Cisse and Olivier Tabili, and they were, um, we used to call them, do you remember the old uh, Axe and Smash, the bushwhackers, yeah, yeah. the old re wrestling, so we used to, that was their nicknames, Axe and Smash, because <laughs> in training they'd just go and just kick the crap out of everyone, you know, and they was probably sort of angry people in and around, the, uh, in and around that, but yeah, so they're, they're two people that probably would, would spring to mind for that. Funniest teammate. Uh, Kev McNaughton's definitely up there. You know, uh, I've got Ian Bennett, Ian Bennett at Birmingham, goalkeeper. He was a, he was a, a really funny lad. But yeah, Kev was crackers. Obviously, who turns up to your FA Cup final song and wears? I'm sure it was a rabbit costume for the whole of the, <laughs> the whole day. Never took it out. Never took the hat out. He just a whole day just wearing his rabbit costume. Yeah. He was just, he was just crackers. And on night out, he was he was brilliant and uh, yeah, just a, an amazing fella. FA Cup, we didn't even talk about that. There you go. What, yeah. was, that, what was that like? Well, here's a stat for you. I, I'll play. I, I was on the bench every game and never kicked a never kicked a, a, a football in, in the FA Cup. No every every didn't, game didn't come on once. Didn't come nothing. on once. 
So got my FA Cup final medal in the thing with me. Uh, I never kicked a ball in it. I bet that's some so trivia. Who played who in every round of the? Who, who was selected every round, in every round of, every the, round FA of the FA Cup? But didn't play didn't and play. got a medal. There you go. Yeah. So yeah, that was that. A, that was a random one. But yeah, it was a that was a good achievement. Some of the some of the games we played like Middlesbrough away was was a, was a great day out. Yeah, it was incredible. Win, yeah, that was. Yeah. That was that was decent. Yes. A bit heartbreaking. We had a couple of um, heartbreaking trips to Wembley within short succession. Yeah, obviously the, the playoff final with, when uh, Jay came off. That was a tough one. Yeah. To, that was a tough one to handle, wasn't it? Ian. The, do you know when we spoke to Jay about that? He still like um, it. Hurt, you can see like when he's talking about it, it hurts him. Like when he whether he had to come off and yeah, took it quite badly like he's still there yeah I, th I think little things like that do they, they they can define your career to a certain degree you know when, when something like that happens but injuries happen you, there's not a lot you can yeah, do about them you know you, you pull a muscle you break a layer anything could happen you, know, you just have to especially like your hamstring or your knee go or something yeah. like that I was always quite apart from the obviously injury at Birmingham I was always quite lucky throughout mm. my career with injuries so from that point of view I can't really see this that I don't Understand the, the disappointments because I've never, never really been through that. Lucky you, no? I, I, was, I was lucky. Um, so with this series, I have one question which I finish off with, which is uh, Dan Pearce. What is the meaning of life? Is there a meaning of life? No. It could be. It could be. It depends how you interpret the question. No, I, I'm one of them. Obviously, that you look at what Molly May. Have you, have you heard what she said about everybody else has the same 24 hours? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Huh? I agree with her, to a certain yeah. degree. Everybody else, everybody has the same 20. What you do with that 24 hours is up to you. Now, some people are priv more privileged than other people, but I, but I believe that the harder you work, the more you, the more you want something, the more chance you've got of achieving it. So from that point of view, I, I half agree with what she says. You know, everybody's got, everybody's got the same 24 hours, but some people are going to be lucky enough to be good at something and, and some people not. Yeah, but like with regards to the, the we're going totally off a tangent no, here, but so if you're a 16-year-old kid at school and everybody's there, you've got the same opportunity to be a doctor, to be uh, an architect as ev and everybody else, haven't you? Yeah, 100%. No matter what background you're from. You've you all know? got the same opportunity you've all got to the work same opportunity. So you've all got the same 24 hours to do something with. It's what you do within 24 hours. Yeah, so from that point of view, there you go. Yeah, yeah. I suppose from a, like a, a school point of view, uh, theory works, doesn't it? Like with kids and that, and like you say, 16, you can go and do what you want the if you work hard that. enough. I tell my son that all the time. Yeah, but, I, but it's the same for, for everyone. But yeah. Yeah, that's a, that's a really philosophical thing to end it on, isn't it? Yeah, there you go. absolutely. Um, really appreciate you joining me, mate. It's no, been cheers, sir. Thanks for your My true collective ball Famous, so famous, number one, desirable Out of what I want, when I want, and how I want it Leave you with the one in the air, that's how I roll I got sense of soul, I'm a true collective ball Famous, so famous, number one, desirable Out of what I want, when I want, and how I want it Leave you with the one in the air, that's how I roll I got teachers, so I don't care about no gold Better, so much better, flipping, incredible Always on the field, so they know that I still got it And I never feel sorry, yeah Top of the world Top of the world
Cheers, mate. Sports Social Podcast Network.